0: Some thought provoking um, points, really. I'm going to be speaking about faith. So, if uh, so if you can put up the first slide. This is something that's been on my mind for the last few weeks faith pleases God. Uh, and it's really taken from um, Hebrews 11, verse 6, which I think is the next slide again. Uh, it says here, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I'm just, I've i been th- mulling over that for the last few weeks because it raises a lot of good questions. Uh, it raises a lot of good questions for me, um, such as, what is faith? What is faith? It's a big word that we use in church a lot. It's something that we um, speak about. You must have faith. You must uh, pray in faith. You must uh, act in faith. But what actually is faith when you come down to the core of it? What does God mean? Because it's quite important we can't please God without it. So if I understand what faith is, what am I placing my faith in? It's kind of the next level of question. Is If I understand what faith is, who or what am I placing my faith in each day? And again, it's one of those questions that it's almost like when you're running in the currents of life, and you're, you're just going to work, you're doing your, your, your work, your business, you're coming home, you're, you're cooking your dinner, you're operating, you go to sleep. Suddenly, Monday to Friday can just be like, like that. Has anyone experienced that? Where you've kind of woken up on a Monday morning, you thought, oh, week of work. Suddenly, by Friday, you can, somehow you've got to Friday, and it's just, the currents of life have just brought you down that road. But has that week or that time, that period, been a time where you've operated in faith, it's a big question. Am I placing my what am I placing my faith in each day? And lastly, just from this initial quote, um, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Has it been my goal? Has it been my aim in life to please God? And if it has, then what kind of faith is it that it does please God? What kind of faith is it that we should have that leads us to pleasing Him? And honouring him, if that has been our goal. Um, I hope it's not in any way condemning because I think sometimes we can get people who get a hammer and say, have more faith, and they whack you over the head and you kind of go, oh, I, need, I should have more faith. Yes, yes, yes. And you kind of beat yourself up. I should have more faith. I should pray more. I should try harder. But I think the goal today is, is, is not in any way to do that. My goal is to encourage you through uh, one of the parables that we're going to study today um, that actually faith is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about how hard I try or how hard I can do something or more or I do more or I try harder. It's actually fully, wholly encapsulated. Faith is all about who God is and his character and his person. So this is the second part of, uh, of Hebrews six, uh, Hebrews eleven six, and it's the second part of the verse, um, which should be on the screen. Um, and this helps us to answer a few questions just by way of introduction what faith is. So Hebrews 11.6 says, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. So the question is, what is faith? It says that faith is uh, is this, for whoever would want to draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this is faith. Faith, if I could just summarize in in just rephrasing that paragraph, uh, faith that pleases God is to believe, firstly, that God is... He is, and secondly, that we are to actually live in His promises. So you kind of see that I think in in, in that verse where it says you you have to draw near to God and believe that He exists. So God is, and He rewards those who seek Him. That God is somebody who asks us to actively seek and live out and act on who He is and His promises. So I want to spend a few moments just reflecting on just those two those two those two points really: who God is. And what does it mean to actively live in his promises? Um, This may resonate with you somewhat, but um, just through my time of just kind of self-evaluation and self-reflection, it can actually be very easy to live uh, and make God out who I want him to be. So rather than letting God be who he is, that he exists and he is, I can very subtly Uh, and very easily, I think, work through life, and maybe this is the same for you, work through life in a way that I've made God who I need him to be. So if I'm sick, obviously he is healer, but I just make him healer, and that's kind of all that I need him to be. Or if I'm discouraged, I need him to be my encourager. Oh, yes, yes, and I get encouraged, and that's good. He is those things, but maybe that's all that I want him to be at that moment in time. Or if I'm struggling with opposition at work, and I think, oh, I just need God just to break through, in this moment, right now. And he will, and he is faithful, but is that all I've limited him to be in that moment? Because I think the problem and the issue sometimes we have is that we put God into a box. We say, God, you said you are a healer, so heal me now. But we forget, actually, that God maybe has something even bigger and greater to work through in that situation. Or we say, I'm struggling now with my kids and, and difficulties, and I just ask God that you'd, you know, impact them. But we forget, actually, maybe he's teaching us something greater in the grand scheme of all that he wants to do. And we put God into a very narrow box, and we don't let God be who he is. And I kind of summarize this, I guess, in a way that we make faith a very self-centered thing. This focus of faith is, is me, my needs, and what I need right now, rather than thinking, actually, there's a God out there who cares for me, and has an overall plan for me already, and I'm... Wanting to be in, in that, rather than just saying, this is what I need right now. So it's a, just very subtle things, isn't it? I don't know if you can see that, that we can formulate a very self-centered faith, where it's about me and what I need, rather than a God-centered faith, where it's all about what he and his great kingdom is all about, and where I fit into that. So we can stereotype God to fit in the way which I need him to be in my perceptions right now. He can make God fit my agenda, rather than fitting, uh, me fitting into his agenda. And the best way I can kind of describe this and summarize how this has been lived out, I think, in the Bible, is, is from Job. Job 121, God blessed him abundantly. God filled his life with so much blessing. Yet one day, God took it all away. His house was destroyed. The house fell on his children. His children were decimated. His wealth was gone. But yet, God, um, Job's response was in Job 121. It says, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. See, this is a God-centered faith here, where it's not about my circumstances, what I need right now. He could have prayed, God, why have you done this to me? What I need now is a recovery plan. I need um, to call my insurance and, you know, all these things. But his faith was not a self-centered one, but a God-centered one, which said, God, you are still good. There's still something for me here. I was uh, pondering over this question. Is, is faith something that you simply hold? something that you hold and mold and make what you need it to be. Always face something that holds you in life's circumstances. No matter where the wind and the rain may come, faith is something that is holding me secure. So faith is not about us. It's about God. And this morning I want to encourage you, and I hope it is encouraging, that we should have a God-centered faith and not limit him to maybe what I think he needs to be. The second part of that of that verse in Hebrews 6, Hebrews 11:6, is uh, that God rewards those who uh, who seek Him, and to summarise that, it's it's a faith that pleases God is one that actively lives in His promises, actively lives in His promises. So again, just in self-reflection, uh, sometimes I think life, uh, I know in my life that I can have a passive faith, where you know. God is good. We've sung about it. We've talked about it. We've um, we've prayed. We've had communion. All of these are acts of faith and spelling out the truth of who God is. But yet, sometimes that faith can end there. It can be a a passive faith where we choose, rather than letting that truth live out in our lives, we choose to stunt it and just go, this is as far as I want to go with that truth. And again, it's very subtle. Um... Hurdles in life, opposition comes, and we choose, actually, is God really good? Does God really want to save that person? Uh, Does he, do I really trust him with all my money when he calls and says, give? All these big things and hurdles come along, and again, it stunts what active faith really is and what God has called us to do. Again, a very simple quote which helps to summarize that. It's not just what you know. You can know a lot about God. You can know a lot of truth. You can read the Bible front to back. It's not what you know, but it's what you do with what you know. What do I do with the truth and the promises of God in my life? Am I choosing to just let them be there in my mind? Or am I choosing to actively live them out and take steps? So the Bible is plain. Um... About, about these things. Uh, James 2 says, what good is it, my brothers, if somebody has faith but does not have works? What good is it, my brothers, if I know beautiful truths and wonderful things about God and who he is and what he's promised for me, yet I don't have works, I don't live it out actively in my life? Now, I know we've covered through James a lot. We've gone through all the Galatians, and the whole point is that we're not saved by works. We're not called to do so many things that God is pleased with us. The position we start with is that God smiles at us as his children in Christ. The position we start with always when we talk about faith is that God has already redeemed me. He's saved me. He's loved me. I place my trust in him. And I start from that point, but what then do I do with that truth of God? Do I live it out actively? Would I choose to have a passive faith and just leave it here on a Sunday maybe or just leave it here in the morning before I go to work? It's a good question to ask us, ourselves. Am I living forwards and actively living out my faith with good works and actions? So my question for, for Forest Town this morning, and I think it's the next slide, I'm not mistaken, which um, is not the next slide, but the question is, What faith does God see in Forest Town Church? What faith is seen here in this place? Is it one where we know God, we say, we know who he is, we sing about it, we proclaim it to each other, we preach it, we sing it, we tell each other about it, we encourage each other, we go to small group, we say, God is good, God is faithful. And then does it lead on to the next step of actively living in those promises day in, day out? What faith does God see in this church when he comes? Is it a faith that pleases him? Um, So with that in mind, I want to just spend just a moment praying. Because uh, I want to pray that that has some weight on our lives. And uh, and it takes time, I think, to reassess our lives and to have a bit of a, a, a check in terms of how have I been living this week? How have I been um, have I been actively thinking and listening and hearing, and and the next episode, obeying what God has placed in my heart this week? And I think in my own, in my own life, I've had to start with one thing, which is to confess and repent. <laughs> Firstly, start with, I've made God too small. I've made him something that, I've made him fit into my mold of my life, and therefore not allowed his fa- the faith to challenge me and move out and do things that he's called me to do. Um, the the first thing I think we can do is to confess and repent. Sometimes we made God too small. The second thing we can do is in Luke 17, this is the apostles came to Jesus and said, increase our faith, Lord. Increase my faith. And that's again something we can do today, that we would let God speak, let Jesus speak into our lives, and that we would have the courage and faith to obey. Um, So that in mind, and just that challenge at the beginning of this sermon, I want to read a story. Uh, and it's a story based on uh, Luke 18, which is a parable. But maybe um, I'm going to read it in a way which is which someone else. I, I've taken this from a book, so I don't take any glory for my, my prose and my uh, ability to write write stories really well. Um, but I want to just read the story, and it, I just want you to listen um, about the way that Jesus describes this parable and how it can encourage us in our faith. So it's the parable of the persistent widow uh, from Luke, Luke 18. Um, will you just give me your ears for a moment as I read this? And they titled this story, a Faith in the Face of Multiple Setbacks. The poor widow was, be, was being bullied outright she'd experienced a huge double setback in her life. Her husband's death had left her lonely and vulnerable, and if that was not grief enough, she also had faced a terrible adversary. He was probably a greedy relative, or perhaps a business partner of her late husband, who felt that he had the right to whatever inheritance had been left for her. In any case, here was an unscrupulous man trying to take advantage of a poor widow's plight. That was not uncommon in ancient times, when women had few legal rights, and as so, she had little standing before the law. So what could she do? In a certain town, there was a judge, but he was an unrighteous judge, and in those days, judgeships were bought and sold, much like worthless doctrines you get today in universities. Yes, he was a bad judge, and in those days, he could make a pretty good living from bribes that often exhorted extorted the name of justice. The unrighteous judge wouldn't have cared at all for her plight. He neither feared God, nor he cared about people. And obviously he had become a judge only for his own gain. It was neither his desire to serve people nor have a passion for justice. That's a triple setback. The woman had an unfavorable circumstance, She was faced with unscrupulous adversary, and her only recourse was an unjust judge. So what was she supposed to do? Again, the Bible records in Luke 18 that Jesus said the widow did not give up. She had no money to bribe this wicked judge. Her only recourse was that, to do what any young daughter would have done, pester him. Pester, pester, pester. So day after day, she would appear before him. Repeatingly crying out, "Help me! Give me legal protection! Help me! Give me legal protection!" And at first, the judge was probably excited. He had long learned that the more intense the cry, the more money he would get as a bribe. And if the intensity of the cry was more, but if the intensity of this woman's cry was anything to go by, he was going to be really rich on this occasion. However, his excitement was short-lived. One of his assistants came to him and whispered in his ear, she's just a poor widow. A poor widow? The judge growled. His assistant nodded, embarrassed and afraid. You moron. Why did you send this poor widow in to see me? His assistant was terrified. I didn't send her in, your honor. She, she just barged in. The wicked judge promptly dismissed her petition, but the widow did not give up. Now women in those days did not go to court unaccompanied by their husbands, to do so would have been improper. Thus, it might have been well that she confronted him everywhere and everywhere else and every day. She might have pleaded with him in the marketplace. She might have pleaded with him in the street, in front of his friends. Perhaps she even cried out to him in front of his home. If It was as if she left a thousand voice messages on his mobile phone. By now, he must have thought, Oh, no, not her again. She was a true pain in the neck. He did not want to help her, but he could not ignore her. She was driving him crazy. She was just wearing him down. And the judge finally re- released that, realized that he was not going to give up. She was not going to give up. Okay, okay, I'll give you protection. Now, somebody, just protect me from her. The widow got justice. The widow lived happily ever after. So why did Jesus tell this parable? Why did Jesus give this parable to us? And uh, we can read that in in verse 1. Jesus told this parable, and the overarching idea is that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart. So the reason Jesus told this parable was that we may not give up, we would not lose faith. But to understand this parable, if we didn't have the right context, we could read it in a very different way in terms of how God is. So firstly, to understand this parable, um, Sophie, go to the next slide. It's firstly, it's Luke 18, verse 1 to 8, the parable of of the persistent widow is a parable not of comparison, but it's a parable of contrast. I'm going to explain that in a little bit. And the second thing is that the parable is not one of how we should persist and how we should pray but it's a question of why we should persist. So let's take the first one, a parable of comparison, not of comparison, but of contrast. So again, Sophie, you can go to the next slide. Um, I don't know if you can read that, but um, we can just list down what the judge and the widows is like, that, they're, that kind of interaction. But on the other hand, we can list down also what Jesus is trying to say, that God is not like this crooked judge at all. He is in no way... God who is unjust and un, un, unkind and uncaring. But instead, actually, he is very different. He's the total opposite of the judge. And the fact is that we don't have to pester God. We are not like the widow, having to um, get in God's face all the time. But that God's character is very, very different. We just take these one by one. The widow and the judge. Uh, the widow had to appeal to a stranger. But yet, we as God's children as to select Approach him, and we are beloved. The widow appeared, uh, had to appeal from a distance, far away from the judge, but we come boldly before our father. The widow uh, met with an unjust judge, but we instead have a righteous father whom we can rely and go to. The widow had to plead her own case, but in our case we have an advocate with the father, and his name is Jesus Christ, who prays on our behalf. The widow had no promise of an answer, but we instead have a promise, abundant promises on which we can hold on to and cling to. The widow had limited access, but we as God's children can come to his throne room any anytime, any place, under any circumstance. The widow had to provoke the judge to action, but our asking is delight to our Father. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus here is painting a picture not of God is like this judge, but God is in no way like this judge. How much more should we approach him? How much more can we have confidence in coming into his presence? So the second part of of this parable, to understand this parable, is a parable of how and what, and not, is not of how, a parable not of how, but why. Why did I phrase it that way? (laughs) So this parable teaches us not how do we pray. The word pestering or bothering in in this parable actually means to poke someone in the eye, literally. So if I ask to go to Sandra, she's wearing glasses, which is a good thing. But if I was to poke in her eye. Is that the way we're supposed to be approaching God, getting in her face day and night, pulling on her clothes, yanking on her, everything in my power to get in her face till she gives up? Is that what the parable is teaching us? I would say it's not. The parable here is, the, the, the situation in the parable was that the, the widow persisted so hard and so, was so in her face and so out of sorts that the judge just had to give up. It was his only way to get rid of her. The judge got so upset and relented because of her nagging. But this is not how we are called to come before our God. The parable is not one of how, but it's a parable of why. Why should we keep praying? Why should we keep persisting? Why should we not give up in our faith? It's not because of us, remember. It's not because of what we do and what we can do. It's not about our methods, but it's about our theology, about who God is. If God is this kind, loving, approachable, delighting in our asking, And surely that gives us the greatest reasons for us to pray and keep going and coming to his presence, to keep pursuing him because of his nature. Again, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do or how strong I can pray or how great I've done. It's about God's faithfulness. This parable is all about who God's character is. his faithfulness and kindness. God is in no way like the judge, but God is faithful. And unlike the judge, he cares for you, and I, and for this church, and he cares for St. Albans, and he cares for the people in your workplaces, and he cares for your kids, and he cares for your friends and your family. That is the God whom we serve, not an unrighteous judge who has to have his ear twisted, but a God who is willing and able and open to us. So in summary, Jesus is basically saying this, listen to what the unjust judge says. He will give the poor widow what she needs Now, what about God? If an unjust judge will listen to the widow's case, don't you think that God will hear yours also? Don't you think that he will bring about justice for those he has chosen who cry out to him day and night? Is God just dragging things out so that he will give up? I tell you that God will bring about justice speedily. So is that the kind of faith we have? We place our faith in everything that God says he is. We place our faith in everything that his character is being revealed to us. We don't box him in, but we allow him to be God. And we allow ourselves just to think of those very truths and allow that to speak out into our lives. So that's the parable of, persistent, of the persistent widow. We've God because of his kindness, because of who he is and his character. But there's one last challenge that Jesus leaves for us at the very, very end. It's a challenge I want to leave with us this morning. We can hear these things. We can sing these songs. But the question is, in Luke 18, verse 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes, and maybe just rephrase it a little bit just to suit our context. When Jesus comes, will he find faith in Forest Town Church? Will he find a people who are willing to take God at his word? willing to believe that he is all that he says he is. And not just know it and believe it, but to live it out. God, if you are for the lost, if you are for the poor, surely you want me to be for the lost and the poor. Lord, if you are to be worshipped, then surely all creation, including those who don't know you, must also come and worship. If you are the God who heals mentally, physically, Emotionally, surely you want me to be part of that in some way. What are you calling me to, God, in my workplace? Am I just going Monday to Friday, living for the next week, finding myself going down a road, meandering through life? Or am I firmly set on all that God has called me to be and do? If God is like this, if God is like this kind And gracious Father, then what is our faith response? Will we be a people who trust God and don't give up? Will we be a people who trust God for His his purposes to be worked out in our lives? Will we give up asking? Will we give up seeking? Will we keep give up our expectations of what God would want to do through us and in us as a people? So I want to encourage you this morning. Place your faith not in yourself. Place your faith in all that God is. I had this illustration, and hopefully it's helpful for you. It's very helpful for me. When we live by faith, it's not living in faith for faith's sake. If you, if you go to a frozen lake, um, and, you wanna, and, and, you wanna, and it's frozen over, and you want to stand on it, it's not your faith that will keep you uh, falling through the ice. You can easily have faith to go and stand on it, but it's the thickness of the ice that matters. Do you kind of get that? It's the thickness of the ice that we put our faith in. It's not in our ability, in our strength, in our perseverance. It's about the thickness and strength of our God on whom we stand. That's where faith's power comes from, standing on all that God says he is, and persisting and persevering in that truth, in that knowledge that he is good, he is God. And I'm not going to shoehorn him into being what I want him to be just so that I can live a meandering life I and mean, come to Sunday each Sunday, sing some nice songs. God is something for us, Forest Town, and that comes through every one of us, living out a faith life that pleases him. So how do we respond to this this morning? We could sing another song. <laughs> we could... Uh, Go have coffee and talk about what God is doing uh, in our lives. And that's all good. And let's do that. Let's get in life groups. Let's encourage each other. Let's share faith stories. But let's that faith go beyond the four walls of this church. Let's let that faith pioneer us in tomorrow morning when we wake up. God, what is it? If you are a faithful, good God who has plans to save this world, where am I in this? What is my place in this? God, call me out so I can live a faithful, faith-driven life that I may be part of your kingdom plans and allow you to be God and I just come along for the journey. Maybe we could just bow our heads. It's just a way of responding this morning. God, we want to be a people that please you. I pray, Lord, our heart's cry would be that the faith that is found in Forest Town Church is an active one that trusts and follows you. Lord, God, I know it's easy just to meander through life, sometimes just serving platitudes to you, but God, you've called us, Lord, to live in faith and not by sight. You've called us to be brave. You've called us to be daring. You've caused us, you've asked us, Lord, to trust you to go where we are weak but yet bring your kingdom so God I want to just pray it's just a way of response that we would start with repentance I just want to encourage you just there's a few things that Lord spoke to me in terms of how we may want to respond today but just with your eyes closed maybe your start of your response this morning is is repentance and repentance isn't a bad thing Repentance it realigns us. If you've made God too small in your life, if you've allowed him just to be a small part, I want to encourage you to repent. Because in Christ we have forgiveness. Maybe that's your starting point this morning. If you just realize that you've lived this life with a passive faith would you just take time just to repent to say sorry to our Lord and to remind yourself of your great calling in Christ Father thank you that as we repent that you are a gracious God who doesn't condemn us but you receive us and you don't just receive us you lift us up We lift our eyes to you, Lord Jesus. And again, acknowledge your greatness. We acknowledge our dependency on you. That to live this life victoriously, we need to set our eyes on you. So give us eyes to see you, Lord Jesus. Set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. That you receive us again as sons and daughters. And set us on a path, a trajectory this week. The second thing I want us to just consider in a way of response is um, is I I truly believe that if God wants to move mountains in this church, that he needs men, men to be brave, men to lead by example in their families, in their social circles, in this church— We need men who take risks and use the strength that God has given us to pursue something greater than what we think we can do. And this no way belittles the ladies in this church, but I have a feeling and I have just a sense that God has called men out to lead, to take charge and to lead in love and kindness and with strength. And we can be like the disciples. Lord, increase my faith. Help me not to settle. Increase my faith. Show me, Lord, what you've called me to do as a man. So if you're a a guy in here and you just feel that calling, that tug on your life, that God has called you as a son to be doing greater things, maybe just respond in that sense this morning. And just ask that prayer, Lord, increase my faith. And the last thing I want us to respond in, and this may be for some of you here, that you feel discouraged, that you've prayed, you've asked, you've sought the Lord. Yet for whatever reason, tiredness, grief, disappointment, that you just are discouraged this morning. And I think there's a sense that this, this parable is for you. Let's shift our faith from our persistence. And let's shift our faith onto a God who cares for you. He is for you. He cares for you. His loving arms extended to you. God is in no way like this unjust judge. He is a faithful God. Father, I pray that will be received this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring about encouragement this morning. Where we are lacking, I pray, Father, for faith to rise. The courage to trust you again where there's been disappointment assurance to know despite of not seeing breakthrough Lord I pray for my friends who are discouraged lift them up I pray Then dwell in your presence and again know the kindness and the graciousness of our God so as we close Lord Jesus I pray for us as people thank you Lord that we can declare this morning that we love you we just love you God because you are so gentle with us you don't condemn us but you take us where we are but also Lord you call us to obedience grow us as a church we pray let us test you out Lord let us test all that you want to do through this church that your kingdom would come that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven thank you Lord that you'll provide everything that we need because you are a good good father it's you we adore